guys, this is the further discussion episode with Matt Odell. If you haven't yet checked out the rapid fire episode, I highly recommend you check that out. It's only about seven minutes long, but Matt's answers to my sequence of rapid fire questions and then my word associations were very interesting. So uh, definitely check that out if you want to hear more of how Matt is thinking about Bitcoin. Uh, This discussion is just about an hour, hour and 10 minutes where Matt and I discussed our experiences with Bitcoin. I asked him a lot of questions about what he finds interesting with Bitcoin, how he's viewing the space, the the narratives that that are interesting to him, and all the other questions that I would naturally have for somebody that's been in the space a long time and that who uh, has taken up a role as an educator, a de facto educator by sharing his own learning experience with anybody who cares to listen. So Matt's a, a highly respected uh, individual in the space and uh, this was just a, 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 an opportunity to have a conversation with him and pick his brain a little bit. So uh, that is all. I hope you enjoy. What's up, man? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought your pod with uh, American Hoddle was great. <laughs> yeah, man, that was a fun one. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm just a fan of his from Twitter, like many of us, I'm sure, and uh, reached out to him, asked him if he wanted to do one. And I, I suspected it would be fun. What I didn't suspect is you know, how much overlap we'd have in kind of our origin stories with Bitcoin and that sort of thing. But I guess many of us are similar in that regard. Yeah, I think it's funny how that works out. Yeah. Well, man, just to get kicked off, I mean... Maybe that's where you can start. Like, uh, you know, I'm I'm a fan of of the podcast that you do, and you know, follow you and stuff like that. But for people that don't know, and maybe some of the details that I'm not familiar with, why don't you just kind of tell me and tell us how you got started on the rabbit hole trail? Awesome. Well, well, first of all, thanks for listening to the pod. Uh, that's why we do it. Um, I, you know, I got the first time I found out about Bitcoin was like 2012. Um, I was I just out of college. Uh, I had a buddy who um, he had, you know he had like a bit of a, a drug drug problem, uh, painkillers, and his friend was getting drugs off the Silk Road, and he mentioned Bitcoin to me, and it was it was like kind of interesting, but I just my immediate reaction was just the the government would just you know, shut it down. Like, how could you mail drugs through, like, no matter what was going on, how could you be mailing drugs um, to people's addresses? It seemed like it was something that could be shut down pretty easily. So I ignored it. And then later in 2012, I had um, a buddy who was like a completely opposite, like just like a straight edge, um, like very proficient at coding. And he mentioned Bitcoin to me and I was like, oh my, okay, so there's got to be something here. I got two completely different people um, talking about it. So then I looked into it for a little bit and I was like, this still doesn't really make sense to me. Like the government's just going to shut it down. So then I ignored it again. And then in 2013, during that like first pump, I was like, so in like 2013, it went up, it first went up to like 250 then fell back down and then did that crazy pump up to like 1200 and that first pump um really piqued my interest i was like something must be going on here how's this price going up like crazy and i just jumped in and i just started trying to figure out how like how i would stop it like how could it be stopped um and as i went down that rabbit hole i was like this is way more difficult to stop than i thought it was um 
Yeah, and then the rest was history. I just, I just, from that point on, I was just completely um, captivated by it. Yeah, man, it's it's funny how you know, and this is mentioned all the time, but you know, so many, very few people that I've spoken with got Bitcoin like on the first touch. You know, like it seems like you need right. two, three, four, maybe even more touches before you actually decide to get some, and before you start kind of following it more closely. But, um, you know, it's just like a little anecdote of my experience. I was, uh, I, I came, became familiar with it, I think, through the, through the Silk Road as well. Um, and I remember there, you know, I, I remember being a lot of fuss when it met parity with the U.S. dollar, which that might have even been before the Silk Road. I, I can't remember how I know that, but I do remember the, the kind of excitement around it. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't touch it then, unfortunately. And, you know, I was so, um, you know, I came from the camp of like, you know, the banking system is fucked. The government, you know, is a bunch of crooks. This thing right. can't last. You know, that, you know, the, I, I wouldn't have, I didn't know what Austrian economics was at the time. But like I, that was kind of how I was thinking about things. And uh, I was so, for one, like you, I didn't think it would survive, right? I thought push came to shove it would be shut down and I wasn't familiar enough with the technology to have any confidence that it wouldn't be. But I was so hopeful for it from like a, like a liberty and freedom perspective that I totally was not looking at it through the lens of investment. And I like, I, I owned gold and silver at the time. Like I was, you know, I was making investments around what I thought was going to happen to the system and the world and stuff. And I, for whatever reason, like it went up, you know, a hundred X from when I started looking at it, like close to a buck. And it just, it didn't dawn on me because I was so hopeful that we would have this like non-government money. I, I saw it more as a, like a political movement than something to capitalize on as an investment. And I, like, I still can't really wrap my head around how I allowed myself to let that happen because, you know, the investment case was an obvious, uh, you know, thing that was happening simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I had a similar entrance as well in that it definitely aligned with my political beliefs um, and like also my interests. You know, it's just Bitcoin is so multifaceted um, that, you know, it both it both aligned with my politics and but it also aligned with, you know, I'm just a nerd <laughs> and I love technology. Um, but. Yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, like the first thing that got me was I was I was hopeful. I just wanted it to succeed. I wanted something like that to succeed, especially since I grew up, you know, I had the 2008 collapse. It was like right after for me, it was, you know, my formative years was the 2008 collapse and then Snowden. Yeah. So like you mix those two together and like that's Bitcoin. And um, yeah. And then but then once I started going down the rabbit hole, that investment, I, I was just like, even if this thing fails, like it's going to pump, like it's just got to pump. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I got in in the beginning, I got in a little bit over my head as a young kid when the when we fell. I, you know, I wasn't as I always say now, stay humble and stack sats. I wasn't I wasn't humble enough that first run. Um, but but I learned and and I and and during the once the whole block size debate and everything started hitting um, full tilt and the forks started coming out, I, I got more and more active. Right. Uh, in terms of trying to educate other new people and learn with them. And cause I was learning every day anyway, I might as well do it with other people. Yeah. You know, you mentioned 
kind of like your formative years in 2008. Like I graduated university in 2009 and just, you know, in trying to figure out why, what I didn't get more involved at the time, I, I think this, this, the scene or the scenario, the, the circumstance in the world at the time, I don't want to say it looked hopeless, but like, it looked like the problems were so gargantuan and that they were starting to come undone. I, I think maybe my approach was just like, you know what, I'm just going to try to make the best of a bad situation and not like, not try to change it that much, you know, which is kind of a shitty attitude. And I, I'm a bit embarrassed to say it, but I was just like, I'm going to carve out my little, like the life that I want to lead, but I don't have that much hope that like this big ship is going to be able to get turned around. And I think that caused me to like, withdraw a little bit from looking for and engaging in solutions which you know bitcoin was it wasn't obvious that it was one of them at that time but it you know it's that obviously at that time it began to emerge and uh you know and so that was an early touch that got ignored and then a couple more touches and then you know in 2014 it started becoming more involved but um like with your involvement matt you know now you're known as as like you know a very knowledgeable person in the space i think a lot of people like your podcast, not because of just, you know, the chemistry between you and Marty and kind of your the, your delivery style, kind of humble, no-nonsense approach, but because you guys are also fairly familiar with the new things that are emerging in the space, like different, uh, you know, the t- how the technology is improving, new services and apps and different contributions in different areas. How was your, aside from investing when you first got involved initially, what became your like early approach or contributions to the space so i actually you know i i immediately like found a role um you know well i guess originally just to begin with i was just like a nim i was a nim on reddit on bitcoin talk um in irc just shooting the shit trying to learn with other people trying to find my ropes um there's you know a lot of time just just learning and reading and stuff like that. And, um, but then I, I found like a, I started blogging, you know, I, I just, I immediately found a, like a niche in the, I like, I, I don't like using the, it's not, it's not, almost not even like education. It's just, it's just trying to learn as everyone goes. And at that point it was such a, the space was so much smaller. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I found a niche where, I'm decent because I'm trying to learn as I go and I'm not, um, I'm not like, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not at the same level as, as so many of these like Bitcoin wizards, mm-hmm. but so I can come at it from like a, at a, from a normal person's angle and try and distill these ideas that are really complicated and really convoluted and just like cut through the bullshit and just, you know, and distill them down. Um, so I was like doing that for myself and I was doing that for my friends and family. And I was really just at that point, like, I just, I thought, I really thought like the U S government was going to crack down on it way more. And I, what I, and I also did share that, that same feeling as you, that it was almost insurmountable, like to fix everything. Um, but Bitcoin was like that one thing that gave me hope. And my, my conclusion there was I need to try and accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. And if, there could be a situation in the future where they go after Bitcoin holders and they don't let you get more Bitcoin. 
right? So it was like my young brain, like the first thing I thought was like the worst case scenario here would be if I was right. I guess it's not the worst. The worst case scenario would be if Bitcoin failed. But the second worst case scenario would be if my conclusion was right and Bitcoin was super successful and the, the price went up and every, you know, it just became... I, I don't even know if I, I don't think I thought it was going to become like a global reserve currency or anything like that, but it, it just became super successful, but that I wasn't able to get any, or I wasn't able to get, you know, like the FOMO, but in, it's in a different way. It wasn't like, I know what you, you mean, know, like normal if, FOMO, if, you know? Yeah. If they cut off access and, and you couldn't, yeah, you, you, you couldn't have your portion of, of the network of, of, of it. And you just, everyone else around the world was able to accumulate and you were cut off. Right. So I just like trying to stay as anonymous as possible. I was like very good about it. Uh, my OPSEC was fantastic. And I was just like slowly accumulating Bitcoin um, with that on my mind. And, you know, I'm from New York and we had we had the bit license going down and everything. So like the last thing I wanted to do was like start a Bitcoin business or start anything public facing. Right. Um, because I felt like that actually hindered the ultimate goal, which is to try and accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until more recently where I was like, okay, it looks like, um, like the worst fears won't be there in the U S at least it looks like, you know, I don't want to jinx it, but it looks like, you know, there won't be any outright bans, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see exactly where it goes, but it, it's, their reaction has been a lot better than I expected. And it's almost like the longer they wait, um, the harder it'll be to do anything, you know, super substantial. Yeah. So more recently, I've been trying to really up my giving, you know, give back a lot more. I, I, I launched like a pretty simple service called uh, final message, which is a nice little dead man switch tool for people um, that allows them to, you know, have another option when it comes to inheritance planning and stuff with these things. Uh, and then the podcast, you know, Marty, I, I found a role on Twitter where, you know, it just was a really good format for me. It was almost better short, short form than it was. Uh, I almost enjoyed the short form of Twitter more than I enjoyed blogging originally. Um, and, and then Marty seduced me to the podcast. And I, I, at that point I loved listening to podcasts. I listened to my Bitcoin podcasts and everything. Um, you know, I have a long list of podcasts. I listen to way too many hours of podcasts every week and Marty seduced me and it was just a good role. We just, we became friends and we just, you know, sit down every week and just shoot the shit about Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, man, it's, I, I know I speak for a lot of people and I say like, I think a lot of people like the format, the chemistry, the information. It's just, it's just an awesome contribution to, you know, the space. So kudos again for that. But before, before we move on from, um, the story you just recounted, um, just touch on final message, man, because it's a super cool service. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they have some Bitcoin, they have some element of cold storage and, you know, this, uh, you know, planning for the future and planning for unknown future, I think is one huge, like blind spot for a lot of people that hold Bitcoin. And they're just kind of hoping that like they don't die and, you know, because it's not immediately obvious, like how you you plan for you know a, a tragedy. You know, if something happens to you, what happens to everything in your cold storage? I think most people it, it would just be lost. But Final Message provides like a really super simple service to mitigate you know loss in that scenario. So you want to just explain that a little bit? 
Yeah, so, um, I mean, basically what happened was, I, you know, I never expected, I thought the price would go up, but I never thought it would go up this much, you know, and I, 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 I remember I used to, you know, like $10,000 was like moon math for me. Like that was like, oh, the what if, what if we hit like 10K? Um, you know, that's not going to happen. So in like 2017, when everything was going ridiculous, um, I, I ride my skateboard to and from work. And I was, I just had like the realization, I was like, fuck, like if I, if I get hit by a car, you know, I don't even have to die. Like if I just get some kind of like major brain damage or something, um, the majority of my, the majority of my Bitcoin is just gone forever. Yeah. Um, I just give back the scarcity to the, to the rest of the Bitcoin holders. Um, so then I started, you know, I was, I was, and at that point I had, I really prescribed heavily to, you know, the whole cypherpunk ethos and. And I, I and and like keeping it as state resistant as possible, like going through like every single like paranoid situation where like if, you know, if the government like bashed in your door, like how would they take your Bitcoin, all this other stuff and like, you know, robberies and, all you know, every 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 possible scenario you could be thinking of. And when you start going down that rabbit hole, what happens really quickly is your heirs become security risks, too. Mm-hmm. So. You know, like if you want to leave it to your mother, then, you know, is she going to leave it on a post-it somewhere? Um, exactly. Or is she going to get kidnapped or something? Is some, you know, is, are they going to are they going to compromise her computer? Are they going to break into her house? All of a sudden, all those issues start coming up because, like, if you if you're not worried about your government coming in, then you could you could your inheritance planning could be. As simple as, you know, you could give a couple multi-sig keys to different lawyers um, and and the lawyers could just handle your estate when you pass away. And that could be completely fine for a lot of people. Um, but so so then it so it became it came down to like, how do I pass this information and how do I do this in like the most trust minimized way that's like reasonable and convenient? And I came up with this solution. And also at the same time, multi-sig became a lot more reasonable. And I didn't want the service to ever have custody of the funds, ever know anything about what was happening. I didn't want it to be, you know, like we talked about the bit license earlier. Um, not only do you not want it from like a user first principle, um, but you, you don't want it from like a liability principle. You don't want, um, you know, like we saw during the Snowden case, for instance, like they they basically shut down LavaBit, his email provider. Because they knew he had emails there and they wanted him, them to backdoor it for them. Um, so the whole service is encrypted. The user encrypts it. And then at the same time, it's a multi-sig key. So if you put it, you can, well, you can put any text in there. But the main workflow I see it as is you put a multi-sig key in there. So even if the encryption is broken, even if, you know, everything goes to shit, it's still only one key. Right. Um, and then the user can be really creative about it. You know, you can you can have a like a three or five multi-sig and you give one key to each heir of two heirs, right? You give one key to each heir and then the third key gets emailed back, emailed. So then it emails the message to them. If you stop responding, um, they can get the third key. They can, they, so at that point they need the third key and then they need to come together also to move the money. Um, So, so the service can't take it. If it's, I can't take it as the service can't take it. And neither of the heirs have are able to take it even together, but they need to come together and take the third key and do it. And I was like thinking of like all these complicated things 
And it really just came down to, um, you know, most of the, the main trade off here is the only real trust is that our service actually mails emails out the message. Um, I was just going to ask how, how it's hosted. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you could, you could try like go down like a million different rabbit holes trying to get around that. But really what it comes down to is there should be more services like this, you know, like you could run your own dead man. Most people that know about dead man switches, like I didn't invent it, you know, Snowden even had one. Plenty of people had dead man switches, but they all run them on their own nodes, you know, there's their own servers. Um, so, so I, the way you get around this, this trust issue of, of the, the thing actually sending out is you have multiple ways of passing, passing this information onto your heirs and you use, you use final message as almost a redundant or like a parallel way, Yeah, you know, so you could even use it with something like a uh, Casa, like Casa's multi-sig or something where you, you like take one of the keys and you put it in final message. Um, if, it, if you if you wanted to pass on that way, is it is yours is final message hosted in such a way that like it it's resistant to like such like if people tried to shut the service down, like would that be are you resistant like, to that? I, look, the U.S. government can shut us down, right? But we don't know. All we know is the email recipients and encrypted blobs. Yeah. Right. So you know we have certain protections in America. They probably won't do it. Um, and if they do it, they would have to do it like in between something happening to you and our message getting sent, the message is supposed to be getting sent, right? Like yeah. that would have to be the window. If it happened, um, if it happened before anything happened to you, there'd be a whole fuss about it. You would know about it. So, right. This is a, like a <laughs> kind of a silly comment, I guess. Uh, and the, you know, Bitcoin, there's so many elements of Bitcoin that make me feel this way, but you know, a dead man switch makes me feel like I'm like a spy in a spy movie or something, right? Like you're walk, <laughs> you're walking into the interrogation with the bad guys or like the negotiation and like, there's a hundred of them and one of you. And you're just like, if any of you touches me, my shit like gets sent out all around the world and you're all fucked. And like, just from that perspective, I mean, of course I want to protect, you know, uh, my assets and stuff like that, but like I wanna, I'm, I'm, it appeals to me from just like the the another cloak and dagger element of Bitcoin that I just love, which is like you know, it's, and it's part of that cypherpunk you know ethos. But it's just it's another one of those things that's just I'm like, man, this is fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, but and in, in it's I, absolutely, but I, I really like the idea of, and I, it really comes from Bitcoin. One of the reasons I love Bitcoin itself is like I really love the idea of just like simple tools. Um, you know, in this case, it's just uh, an encrypted email on a timer um, with a privacy first focus and people can be as creative with it as they want to be. It's just like another tool. Is there a lot um, of uptake? I, yeah, uh, there's a decent amount. You know, uh, I we have, you know, a couple hundred people using it right now. Uh, I yeah. think I think that, you know, you really need. You, you really need like the price to pump for people to start caring about this stuff. Right. Like I didn't, for the longest time, I was completely fine with just ride or die, you right. know? So, like 70% <laughs> of my funds were gonna be lost, and then my mom knew how to access like 30%. Right. And uh, and, and that that's the stash that they would get to keep, <laughs> and the rest would just be gone. Well, you mentioned a few minutes ago, man, like uh, when you developed this thing, that kind of 10,000 uh, was like, 
moon or not prior to developing it 10,000 was like moon consideration I got to ask what is moon consideration now you know I don't even I don't even uh, it's no limit now I, I yeah I, I I think that if this thing is successful like we can't even fathom um, like the value that we'll have you know like who knows like it, I yeah I, I couldn't even um, it just all it still all seems so unreal yeah uh, but like at this point like it's just uh, so many so many of the risks I saw with Bitcoin have subsided um, and Bitcoin has proven resilient yeah. that it really does seem right now that it's like the best risk reward ratio that we've ever seen. Yeah. Well, talking about the, uh, the chat with American HODL, you, you probably laughed and smiled when you heard this part, if you heard it. But I think I asked him like, uh, I can't remember like the inevitability of it or like, you know, can it be stopped or something? He was like, you know, always you got to approach it as if like, you know, you, you don't want to assume it's going to succeed. You always want to be improving it and improving your, how you engage with it and that kind of stuff. But he was like, man, I got to tell you, Bitcoin or Bitcoin or feels pretty fucking inevitable. <laughs> you know? I thought that was yeah. a super, super funny comment. Yeah. I was laughing that all up. That was a great episode. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it really does. I mean, even it, it, it just feels like at this point, like for the longest time we needed more adoption and, you know, I still don't think there's many people haven't adopted it, but, um, you know, like the majority of the world hasn't adopted it. Well, like 1% maybe has adopted it. Uh, maybe it's like, well, like 30 million people or something yeah. like a planet of seven and a half billion, but crazy. just, just like the 30 million Bitcoiners that we have right now, like could probably pump the price. So it's, it's just, yeah, I think it'll go up. You know, I think it'll go up significantly, but I can't even, I wouldn't even put a number on it. Right. I don't even know. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, and I know there's been lots of, there's always lots to talk about. There's lots of FUD. There's lots of like, uh, there's lots of everything. But as you were just pointing out, like the first 10 years of this thing seems like it's been relatively smooth sailing. Like it didn't meet the amount of resistance that I think we all probably thought that it would. And as the economic mass of it grows larger, you kind of assume that it's harder and harder to shut down as it kind of seeps into the hands and lives of more and more people all around the world in all positions of power. You're thinking like, well, this is getting harder to shut off. But I almost feel like it's been too good. Like, do you you know, you're so involved in the space, you, you, you're it's to the ground, obviously, you're in the US. Do you like, do you see any sort of changing in, in attitudes toward this? Do you, do you see any big things on, on the horizon that would be, even if not, could stop it, but a greater challenge than we've seen? I mean, I think I think we haven't seen anything yet. Um, right. And, you know, I hope that we're resistant enough to what's to come. But, but it, you know, 27 it's easy to look back and think like it was all rosy you know but like 2017 2016 to 2017 like that was pretty bad like the whole um you know bitcoin cash fork segwit 2x uh people going left and right saying you know like ethereum was pumping like crazy like the flipping's gonna happen um it was very much like even in like the small subset 
of people on this earth that were just in like crypto circles. It was very much chaotic. And a lot of people who were considered very influential, still are considered very influential, like called it very, very wrong. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like, so that I I think that we passed a lot of hurdles in 2017 Mm -hmm. that really solidified Bitcoin in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, a, a major one being Bitmain's dominance over ASIC production, because I, I do think that ASICs are the the most secure and efficient way to secure one of these networks. Um, but the, the issue is there is a hurdle there where in the beginning it's, it's very centralized. Um, and I, I kind of feel like we passed that hurdle. I think that's pretty big. Uh, so then the next the next really big hurdle is is going to be governments and it's going to be mostly i think privacy related right um that's what i've turned most of my education efforts to uh you know i i I see like a very easy politically expedient attack route to be instead of banning it altogether uh, which i think is already very difficult to do in america at least um is is to either ban self custody so you're not allowed to withdraw your coins or restrict self custody and make it so like every year you have to disclose addresses you know so like the government asks you like which addresses you have bitcoin in and you have to tell them and tell them how much you have um and if people aren't careful about their privacy that'll be extremely easy to it, it won't be extremely easy to enforce but it'll be enforceable and they'll make examples of certain people that lied and and then 95% will comply and that will make it even harder for the other 5% to comply. Um, so I see that as like a like a pretty major attack vector. It seems like a pretty obvious path mm-hmm. um, if they wanted to at least slow, you know, like because their biggest issue with Bitcoin is is the lack of, you know, the, yeah, the lack of reporting. It's like just that they can't see, you know, what's going on, how much everyone owns. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you mix that in with like the creeping KYC and stuff, and that could become like a pretty dirty situation. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I'm like just kind of at peace with Bitcoin at this point. You know, I thought, you know, I it wasn't that Bitcoin needed me in like 2017 and 2018. It was that I felt like new Bitcoiners did. Uh, like that, like I didn't think Bitcoin was really a threat. I thought like individuals were more a threat. Uh, and the space has matured so much that I, I'm starting to see like, oh, maybe it won't. Like I, I see a brighter, you know, where I don't have a brighter future there, where I don't have to um, put as much effort into education because yeah. there's just the space has matured so much. You know, we even had like. Like we have Joe Kern on CNBC, like saying like like talking points that we said. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. When like in 2017, like they were showing Ripple at the top, you know. Yeah. And like I felt like someone had to say something and be like, you know, you really probably shouldn't be buying Ripple at three dollars. Um, look at the price in Bitcoin terms and. Yeah, I don't. That I don't mean to be condescending at all, but I love watching like the clips with Joe on CNBC because like. I'm just, you know, he's trying, you can tell like he's, he's really starting to try to learn more about all this and he has to cover a lot of topics too, right? It's not like the, the rest of us that can just focus on this all the time and he has to be able to speak intelligently on, on 
broader investments and economic issues and stuff. But, you know, he's, he's trying to explain like stock to flow or he's trying to explain <laughs> like privacy or this and that. And I'm just like, come on, Joe, you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Keep going. Keep going. You know, and he's got limited time and it's not a great uh, medium or format, but it is awesome to see that like that way of thinking starting to even seep into, you know, the mainstream. Yeah, that's crazy to me, you know, and I, I just I, I didn't expect I didn't expect that so quickly. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons why I asked that question a second ago, man, is um, or part of it is because I think like the bear market in 2018 wasn't that like wasn't that I mean, we had a big drop, obviously, but it wasn't that prolonged. And like there wasn't I didn't feel like a large sense of hopelessness or anything like that. And I didn't get the sense that many others did it either. I think most people just were like, yep, this is how it works. And it'll be back. And there was just also different, you know, a little bit different than my observation of a previous bear market was like, there was so much activity going on in the space that was like super cool. And none of that was slowing down at all, you know? And I, and so it didn't seem like, uh, you know, it was going to be that severe. And now, like you mentioned in 2017, 16, like we had all those debates, you know, um, Bitcoin cash and scaling debate and all this kind of stuff. And now it's like, there's so much innovation happening, Bitcoin dominance increasing, a lot of, a lot more people are starting to understand the narrative and the value prop of Bitcoin. Like, so I asked that question almost out of paranoia, like things seem like they're pretty smooth sailing right now. And it makes me a little bit nervous, you know? Yeah, it did seem like the most bullish bear market ever. Um, it did correct a lot quicker than I expected. It came back up way quicker. Yeah, I think, um, I think everybody feels that way. But yeah, I, I, I hesitate to, to, I like, I try and pull myself back because I have the same, a similar feeling about that. Um, but I, I pull myself back because I wonder if it's because, you know, we, we experienced, you know, the 14, 15, 16 bear market. Um, you know, it didn't come back up. Uh, it didn't hit that all time high again until I think early 2017. Um, like I remember like what, like Vinny sold all his Bitcoin at like, he like had his post where he sold all this Bitcoin in like April 2017 or March 2017. And then we went like 20 X from there. Um, right. So like that was a long haul. And I remember it was like a daily basis of like Bitcoin was going to die. But I wonder if, if like we like built up a, like a psychological resistance to it, you know, it's like our second time through it. So it's how could, how could it be as bad as the first time? So I wonder if it's objectively, I think it was objectively, you know, less severe, but because just Bitcoin was more mature, but I, I, I wonder how much objectively less severe it was. Like, I wonder how much of it is just that we had been through a previous one already. Yeah. And it could be the case that the, you know, the, the bear market that started in 2014, and you know lasted for as long as it did that may be the anomaly you know if you look at previous bear markets none of them were were that long so you know if, if we say that's like one out of four or five then that that was was certainly the longest so maybe maybe we're just kind of back to bitcoin's normal cycle yeah i mean yeah because we had gox and we had silk road right and right. then they were like auctioning the coins off slowly uh so yeah so definitely that definitely could be the case yeah um I mean, we'll see right um Matt, one thing that you're, you know, famous for at this stage is stay humble, stack sats. And I think that 
is appealing to people that are just entering the space, but also people that have been here for a while. Uh, maybe I can just get you to unpack where that came from and what it means to you. So like when, I mean, when I came into the space, like it was pre hodl Um, and the big thing was, you know, it's like, I remember the pitch, like it was yesterday on Reddit, you know, this is a high risk, high reward investment. Um, only put in what you can afford to lose, which is what everyone said right before they went all in. Um, (laughs) and, and to dollar cost average, like to try and edge out the volatility by just doing consistent buys over time, um, regardless of the price and try not to let the FOMO and the panic uh, take you down. And I, you know, we had like the OK coin wood chipper that was like taking people out, um, which was like BitMEX, but way worse in terms of liquidations. And everyone was just always dollar cost average, dollar cost average. And then like 2017 happened <laughs> and the whole space got like super perverted, you know, like people were ICOing and, going into things like dragon chain and getting like a thousand percent and tons of leverage. And I would do threads on threads on threads that were just on dollar cost averaging, just, you know, only money you can afford to lose uh, dollar cost average. And they got like no engagement. No one wanted to fucking hear it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then mixed at the same time, I, we saw unit bias like completely take over. Like there's, for the, I don't think there's a single major altcoin that has less default units than bitcoin they all have more you know whether that was litecoin in the beginning whether that was ethereum who did even more units or like ripple who just went crazy with units like yeah. whether they have like a billion units or something yeah um so i looked at that and i was like okay so let's you know combine the two let's let's um dollar cost average of money you can afford to lose and let's think of Bitcoin in its smallest fucking unit possible. You know, let's fight fire with fire, um, and and stay humble. Stack Sash was born. It was a, distil- a distillation of my big ass threads, and it's just people know what it means, you know, and uh, and it resonates. Like I've been stacking Sats since I got into the space. I just didn't call it that. Yeah. Was it something that just you know came to you in conversation or popped in your head when you were you know? skateboarding someday or was it actually like did you intentionally craft this meme my first tweet of stacking sats was attacking ripple unit bias right and it was thinking sats um you know we i we were starting to see like people were were like falling in line behind bits and stuff so there was like talks of like what to make our you know i think ever since we got in people were talking about you know what should be the default unit? The default unit should be Bitcoin. You know, you could buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. Like everyone was always uh, talking about that. And I was just like, let's let's go with sats. You know, I, it just seemed right. Um, the first tweet was about that. And yeah, and then it kind of just like took off. It like it took a it had a life of its own, you know, like memes are just they're organic. I, I'm sure I've thrown I've, I always throw shit. I just throw shit at the wall on Twitter. Yeah. And see what happens. And uh, it caught on. People liked it. You know, it's so fucking amazing that not only are we here and now in this time with this momentous change occurring, and we all think, you know, we we all kind of think about it in a similar way, but that we also exist in this time where, you know, a, a thought in your head, a way of identifying or classifying or categorizing something 
can spread so wild, like like wildfire across the internet to millions of people, and then actually, you know, become a way that people see the world as a result of that. I mean, that's that's what a meme is, right? It's like a mind virus that gets in you, and that's that's then how you see it. And like, it's got to be a trip for you, man. I mean, just because Bitcoin is bigger than all of us, obviously, right? It's you know, we all think it's it's going to be this tremendously important and transformative thing for the world and just you know whatever happens to it in the future i mean i think sats is probably going to be a pretty fucking established uh, nomenclature in bitcoin moving forward like everybody loves it you know so if we do end up in a future of hyper bitcoinization you know we're probably going to be going to the grocery store and things will be priced in sats and if not people are still going to be referring to those units in sats and like it's got to be a trip for you, you know, like you're just one dude, but you came up with this thing that like is now an integral part of identifying this phenomenon. Sats the standard. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, everyone always wants to talk about stacking sats, but I still think the crazier part was that uh, Jack Dorsey took the lightning torch for me in the middle of the bear market. Like right. that was, that was, that's still like unreal. Like that was such a great endorsement that we got like in the, in the it was like right at the bottom it was like in february or i remember something. yeah i remember and when i think it was around that time too that he fired up his casa hodl uh, node and he was tweeting that out as well yeah once he well once he accepted the lightning torch he went on like a tear where he was like attacking shit coiners and like telling yeah. them like bitcoin cash is never gonna go on so then like of course like casa and a bunch of other people like sent him hardware and got him involved yeah uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. I that the whole thing's crazy, you know. Like we have a very successful podcast. We have great listeners. People send us uh, whiskey. They send us glasses. <laughs> I got I've got coasters. I have a customized notebook, a customized flask that listeners sent me. Um, and like That's it's so just cool. insane. It's just absolutely insane. And like Bitcoiners are awesome. I I I, I just yeah. I went from just like a like an anonymous Bitcoiner to like. Yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to do my best. You know, I'm just yeah. trying to get back, do do my best to to something that I I really, I still to this day, um, share that same feeling that you express you used to share, which is like the, a hopelessness, like an insurmountable hopelessness, except for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the hope. Like, like uh, I was on Peter McCormick's podcast, and he like asked me like, how could I be so confident in Bitcoin? And like really. The conclusion is, is like, if like we're not successful here, like we're fucked. Yeah. Like that. So it, why not? You might as well be at peace with it. Yeah. And try your best to, you know, hasten, hasten hyper Bitcoinization. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't agree more on everything you just said pretty much about the way to approach it and the kind of this is our only big shot aspect of it, but also just of of the community and the, the type of interactions you get to have as a result of being associated with something that, and I, you know, I've still haven't really found a way to articulate this properly. Like, cause, but to me, like Bitcoin, I know a lot of people listening will find this just kind of off the wall. The hardcores will probably be with me, but you know, like the, the truth and purity of the thing just attracts that sort of behavior not exclusively there's charlatans and there's dickheads and all that kind of stuff but like it's drawing in a lot of really cool people that uh 
yeah, I don't know. I guess that, that share that kind of desire to interact in that way. And for me, like, it's just been drawing me closer and closer in. You know, I've, I started doing uh, interviews in the space in, in 2015. Bobby Lee was my first one. And I've been doing them, like, just as a general interest hobby whenever I've had the chance. And then I just found, like, month after month, based on, like, speaking with those people and having an opportunity to talk about this subject matter and then interacting with more people – like it just draws me in further, and like big, I've never been like big on Twitter, right? Like I just, just could never be bothered to. Uh, I don't mean like by big, I mean like I've never been that. Um, it's never been that appealing to me because I could just never be bothered. Like I didn't really give a fuck. I I don't think people give a fuck what I have to say, and I didn't really give a fuck what what people had to say. I kind of used it as my own like curated newspaper, as most people do, and right. you know follow a bunch of different people. But as, as this process was going along, like I was following more and more like Bitcoin related accounts to the point where like eventually, I don't know when I crossed that kind of Rubicon, but like I, I entered the Bitcoin uh, Twitter echo chamber, <laughs> you know, and at that point I was like, holy fuck, like, and there's so much nonsense and stuff, but it's so great, you know, and now like I'm, I'm finding myself engaging in it more just because it's, it's such a great community to be a part of. And uh so I I agree that the you know the type of people that this community has and you know everybody contributes to it in in their own way you know and I'm not really sure what my contribution is going to be yet I just know what I like doing you know and having these sorts of conversations with people like yourself has always been like afterwards I'm just so like charged up I'm like yeah it's fucking awesome to talk about this shit and then you get to you know you get to go out and explore and see how it's moving and developing and then try to learn more and adopt it in your life and 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 then at the at the forefront of all that you have this big hopeful brighter future than you ever thought possible pulling it all forward and then of course you're going to be motivated to contribute to that in some way and help bring it about sooner yeah i mean i i think this space attracts uh the best people and the worst people it's like extremes like we only get the extremes here so far because it's early still yeah um and, you know, that's part of the reason why I became much more outspoken is because we basically saw like person after person, company after company, um, just like so many bad actors, you know, yeah. and uh, and like so many bad actors and the ones who were good actors weren't willing to actually like stand up and say shit. You know, they were just their business interests just kept them quiet and they just like kind of never gave hard answers. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's, uh, and I, I guess Twitter is also a good medium. I, I was using it the same way as you, just like as a newsfeed, it kind of just, I, it was where I started getting, started like really posting my own stuff on Twitter was like after, um, all the Reddit drama was happening and Coindesk went completely down the shithole. Uh, and we just like saw all these companies and it was just like a really good way um, to curate and to bounce your ideas off of other people um, in a semi uh, like distributed fashion. Right. Like obviously Twitter's a, a centralized platform, but you didn't have like the traditional like Bitcoin talk moderators or. Reddit moderators, stuff like that. What actually makes me think, obviously, lately there's been a you know a lot of criticism from outside that community about like toxicity and that kind of stuff. And actually, before I was on Twitter this morning, and uh, 
this conversation we're having now makes me think of a, a tweet that uh, Ben from BTC Sessions made. I actually just pulled it up. And he said, uh, LOL at people thinking, quote unquote, Bitcoin toxicity will cause it to implode. Trusting no one and chewing people out for tiny slip ups is the most extreme case of something becoming mm -hmm. anti-fragile I've ever seen. Under that kind of intense scrutiny, anything would become bullshit resistant. You know, and that's, that's, yeah. that's true, right? That's one of the awesome, that, that's the right way, I think, to look at the, uh, the intense scrutiny that it goes on in the space. No, absolutely. Bitcoiners, we get attacked all the fucking time. The only time it's toxic is when Bitcoiners say something. When, when the, the same people, the same people that that say that Bitcoiners are too toxic have thrown plenty of insults our way and have gone after us in plenty of different ways. Um, and it's 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 very much a double standard. Like the re the reason Bitcoiners are so abrasive a lot of the time is because we do get attacked from like every fucking angle right and and i think also when when you know the importance of like your mission or the cause or the potential like that's gonna cause you to be you know uber defensive about the thing whatever it is you know like if it was just if it was just something that was that important you'd probably be more chill about it but you know it's like no this is this really needs to work. So if we if we have to be a bit salty in defense of it, then maybe it's okay. Yeah, exactly. But like you shouldn't like personally attack people, you know, and I think like people should be good about that. But I, I don't think um, I think it's very much overblown because I don't, I don't think Bitcoiners uh, on, on a whole really at attack people personally. They're, they usually are attacking ideas and they usually are are are. Um, like try, yeah, just just trying to defend from bullshit, just like constant constant slews of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. One of the things, I mean, we touched on this already, but just want to maybe get you to elaborate on it a bit. But I think there's so much, there's always so much going on in the space, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's innovation that's happening, whether it's your own learning experience that you're just trying to keep up with all the different developments and then integrate them into your your setup in whatever way that. Uh, may, like maybe there's not as much time or maybe people just don't consider like the time that we're in. I mentioned like the kind of influence that, you know, stay humble stacks, stack sats is having and like probably will have into the future. And it's, it's amazing. But do you ever like daydream or think about, or like just kind of, yeah, like go you know, fantasize about like, or realize actually is a better word the time that we're in right now and like what if if we're correct about what this technology is and the change that it, it, it's going to bring like do you ever think about how amazing or cool or interesting it is to be here at this time of it in this development yeah yeah i mean i feel extremely fortunate for so many things I and mean, i'm extremely lucky uh you know i i I basically, you know, I have a fiat job. I like, I do my Bitcoin stuff is, is I guess part time, but it really feels like it's full time and my fiat job is part time. Right. <laughs> but um, I, I really do think like this is the most important thing going on right now. And I just want to completely immerse myself in it. Um, I, I don't understand how people can ignore it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I just, you know, I, I think if you look back in history, there's so many pivotal moments that people were a part of just simply because they were born in the right place at the right time. And I feel like most people don't notice when that happens, but I very much 
feel that's what's happening right now for us. Yeah, I, I mean, I've as I get pulled more into this over time, you know, I, I start to think like, man, if you're not obsessed with Bitcoin, you don't understand what Bitcoin is. Now, that's presuming that I do, and that's probably a false presumption because nobody really gets it, and it, you know, it's totally yeah. possible that it'll still end up being nothing. But at least my framework for it, the way that I'm seeing it, like my, my current thinking on it is, man, if you're not like completely consumed by this thing, then you're not seeing it, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I echo it completely. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, it's, it's, cra- it's, it's absolute craziness um, to, to be alive at, at this moment. Yeah. this moment in time to experience all of it be a fun thing to tell the grandkids about someday um what uh you know you and you and marty talk about you know getting cosmic occasionally on the uh, on the podcast and am i am i right in kind of assuming that's like talking about like kind of higher order like imagining what what this thing can be in deeper levels of the rabbit hole is that is that kind of correct yeah it's like it's like big picture things right and uh it, it helps that uh that we we tend to drink during recordings, right? As well. Right, which which I love, by the way. But you know, I, I I think we all love to extrapolate from where we are and just kind of like, and you don't want to do this all the time because you want to stay grounded in where things are at right now and engage it at that level. But like, I get, I guess the question is, like, what are some of your recent like uh, boundaries of of how you've been thinking about Bitcoin? Like as you, as your mind just kind of, you know, looks into all areas and tries to push as far as what this thing could be, where, where is kind of like the, the, the stopping point right now? I know it's never, it'll always advance, but like, what's your biggest cosmic view, I guess, is what I'm asking right now. Yeah. I mean, but I, it comes, it comes back to like the price. It's like, this stuff is so hard to fathom. Um, I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of science fiction. It kind of is like we're just living in science fiction right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I see the, the, the ideal world that I like hope for is, is basically like many individual like commonwealths or like city states or something. So lots of like globally connected, uh, small, uh, societies, um, that are that are connected, you know, through the internet and other communication means that we are yet to be seen. Uh, and Bitcoin tying it all together as like a universal money, you know, like the Bitcoin aspect of it is, I, I think, is a relatively simple thing to fathom in comparison to all the other things that could be going on on the outside of it, um, because at its core, it'll just be uh, just, but it'll, it'll be an independent global money. Um, that everyone will be able to base their wealth and trade off of. Um, and then, you know, when you start looking at stuff like a, a big one for me is like autonomous drones. Um, uh, we, we had Bitcoin sign guy on. Uh, I remember when he first did the sign, I donated to him. Uh, now I'm close friends with him and I regret donating to him a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Man, but, I've, I've uh, been trying to get in touch with him. I can't really figure out how. So if you want to hook us said, up. I'll try to. He's a hard guy to nail down, but uh, we've been very fortunate to uh, have him on Tails multiple times. I actually I shared a room with him and Marty when we were in Dallas, 
Um, but we got Cosmic, as you say, once uh, on one of the pods, and and he brought up an interesting point. So, um, you know, the issue, the first issue that I ever had with Silk Road when I first found out about it was, um, it seems like a very big weak point. The actual mailing, you have to get it mailed, like you have to get stuff mailed to your address. Like that's, you know, the the sender knows your address, and you can get completely hit by. If it's something illegal, you can get completely hit by your government for it, yeah. uh, depending where you live or what your jurisdiction is, what you're getting. Um, so this there's this Russian dark market that solved this issue by um, they place like small parcels around Moscow. And when you buy something with Bitcoin, they just give you the coordinates. It's like a push system. They give you the coordinates. You go to the drop, and and you know whatever you're you're buying is is already there for you. Yeah. And Bitcoin sign guy said, wait till we have like onion routed drones. So like the Tor network, but with like autonomous drones, where like one drone passes it to another drone, which passes it to another drone, which like then gets picked up by your drone and like brought back to wherever your citadel is or wherever you live. Like that's pretty crazy to fathom. Yeah, man. It's. <laughs> Things are going to get so squirrely. Like, you know, there's so many innovations converging or will that will be converging at the same time. It's just like, it's really hard to, you know, obviously nobody can predict the future, obviously, but it's even hard to like imagine what it might be. You know, I was speaking with um, Gigi uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, Gigi's great. Yeah, he's awesome. And uh, he was, I don't, I don't know if this is, attributed to him like if this was his thought or you know probably many people have had this thought but very incestuous yeah he was he was describing um uh proof of work as the physicalization of the digital world right um and you know it's an interesting concept you know you kind of got to dig into that to and obviously learn about proof of work to to see if that can hold up in your own in your own mind but you know, my some of my cosmic thoughts on Bitcoin is kind of along those lines where I think it's obvious that we're increasingly living in a digital world, right? Like first it was the TV, then it was the computer, now it's the phone. And all of these devices just take our consciousness and swoop them into, you know, bring us to other places and into other people's lives. And I see that process accelerating where we just get closer and closer into the into the digital world until we we merge at least in some capacity for some of the time. Um, and prior, you know, we would, I don't think we'd be able to do that if we couldn't, tr- like if we're going to really lay our consciousness at the feet of, you know, the digital world and be subject to that. I don't think we'd do that if we knew the digital world was on such shaky ground, you know, that, that, Right. Because, you know, obviously consciousness is super important and what you believe and what you experience and sense and perceive can affect you tremendously. And I don't think people would have the confidence to operate more and more in that world if they knew like the environment they were in could just immediately turn into like their 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 biggest fears or a horror story or something like that. And in addition to that, like if you're getting the more we operate in that digital realm, the more we're going to ascribe value to things and we you know obviously we'd be less inclined to ascribe value to things if we knew that they could be copied or replicated and nobody knew which one was the first one which one was the millionth one and all that kind of stuff and i kind of see you know proof of work and and one of bitcoin's uh applications potentially in the future as being like the foundation for a digital reality the people the, the, the thing that will give people the trust to not only transact, but actually to, 
you know, allow their consciousness to, to be more kind of sucked into a digital environment, that level of trust is, is I think what will, what they will need in order to do that. Like the, the, what Bitcoin provides. I know that's like super cosmic as well, but yeah, I mean, I think it's ironic is that, uh, and I think it's one of the great divides in, um, well, if I'm right, it'll be either way, I guess, is, is one of the great divides in this space. Um, is that, you know, everyone, especially like the corporate types is blockchain, 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 like it's an amazing innovation. The real innovation here in my mind is distributed proof of work. Like that's the crazy part. That's the part that like brings it all together and anchors it down and has so many far reaching implications. But like 70% of this industry it thinks it's the problem that needs to be solved. Right. Uh, while I'm like, this is the most amazing innovation we've ever seen from a distribution point of view, from a security point of view, from an energy arbitrage point of view, like you're basically putting like the ultimate free market, like permissionless free market for energy, or like worldwide, like that sanctions can't stop that, that it, it doesn't matter what your energy source is. Like there's a price that will be paid for it. Um, it's like absolutely mind bending, just the proof of work aspect. And people still think it's a problem. They think it's a problem that needs to be solved. And that's a, it's, that should be a very interesting um, facet of this industry, especially the wider so-called crypto industry over the next couple of years, I think, because because you're really you're seeing like a lot of money being poured into like these proof of stake networks and stuff like that. And um, I, I, I think they're 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 really missing the the big innovation here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think if you know, if we have another bull like a crazy bull run relatively soon, which garners all the mainstream media attention again and that kind of thing, I think the environmental aspect of proof of work like will still be an issue but if it's if it's in instead of like a a year or two but if it's in two three four years just i think that'll have enough time for the narrative to change and for people to learn more about it and realize it and maybe it won't become some of one one of the big kind of like talking points in in mainstream media because it you know up to this point it has been and people have focused on the quote-unquote environmental impact not the insane innovation that it represents and also the the environmental impact but on the positive side the the potential that it has on the positive side yeah i mean i think it's very important for us to focus on the positives to try and signal boost them yeah especially those of us with platforms um to to help that process along but i think ultimately you know one of the beauties of distributed proof of work and specifically Bitcoin because uh, so much priority has been um, given to keeping it as censorship resistant as possible, as efficient as possible, as lightweight as possible. So you can mine through Tor um, is, is that they can, you know, there, there needs to be for, for, for that energy FUD to ever manifest itself into something that could threaten the bitcoin network i mean it would need to be global coordination and it really becomes like a huge game of chicken um and it becomes very difficult to enforce uh so i'm not as concerned i i know we're gonna just 
it'll be more like just don't get triggered by it. You know, like we'll just be reading articles about it all the time. Like people complain about planes using too much you know, energy, too much fuel and stuff and the military using too much fuel. But like all they do is complain about it. Like nothing ever is done about it. Um, so I, I like I tend to think that, um, you know, and, and and so far the majority of of the people saying that kind of thing are is because they're pitching their own network that they that they that that they're saying is better than bitcoin and that it doesn't have those issues and 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 they're not being honest about their trade-offs so they have their own motives for doing it um and i think the market has a way of working itself out and showing that you know that they're that they're wrong and they will they will naturally get wrecked yeah i agree i agree and i think this is just the process of Bitcoin narratives around Bitcoin emerging, you know, like the first, the killer app for the initial killer app for Bitcoin, you know, you could say is money. And that makes a lot of sense. And if we could have a better form of money that Bitcoin represents, then the world is going to be a better place. And that's awesome. And I love it. But, and then at the moment, a lot of these other things seem peripheral, like the energy aspect, the behavior change aspect, and all the other things that, that people, like people are starting to notice that it's impacting. But I actually, you know, I think instead of like being peripheral, I think they're just other apps, shall we say, in Bitcoin that just are a little bit further down the list than money. Like, you know, disruption of how we uh, interact with, store, produce energy is not like a bug, definitely. But it's it's not even like a feature. It's just like it's another one of the apps on bitcoin but it just it takes time for the narrative to emerge for for that app to become clear the environment around it has to change to take full advantage of it and i think you know what we're seeing now is just as these narratives emerge of course like first oftentimes there's resistance to them like if you look at the behavior change element now we're seeing that the narrative emerge it's like wow being involved and engaging in bitcoin actually fosters and creates like really positive changes in people's lives and behavior and how they their, their time preference and how they take care of their body and their relationships not um you know not absolutely but a lot of people report that right um, but before it was like you know people that engage with bitcoin are drug dealers and criminals and all that kind of stuff so i, I think as these narratives emerge there's initial resistance people see the negative first maybe that's just our default way of doing it but over time, these narratives begin to change. We begin to see that, no, these are actually like, these are inherent apps or uses of Bitcoin as well. They just maybe are lagging a little bit of the primary cases. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I One thing to mention is like, I mean, I remember that you couldn't read a mainstream Bitcoin article that didn't start with, first of all, like a little blurb explaining horribly what Bitcoin was. And then it always mentioned drugs yeah. and criminals. And now they don't. They don't anymore. They just don't even. That's not, you know, part of the uh, of the script. Uh, so, yeah, the narratives absolutely will keep shifting. And uh, everyone who owns Bitcoin um, has a direct incentive to see it succeed. Right. So. So you, you'll you'll see that shift naturally as adoption increases. That people will be uh, more acceptable totally. to. And it. I mean, I, I I don't know 
my role in the space yet, but I'm, you know, like I'm not super technical. I rely on people like you to dumb down like the uber technical stuff, bring it to a level that I can appreciate, understand, and then actually apply. Right. But it's not like, it's not my, I don't gravitate towards it naturally. I'm, I, I like the narrative stuff a lot more, you know, so I love discussing the emerging right. narratives and the, the, the degree that, you know, Bitcoin's gravity is beginning to pull on so many different narratives in so many different areas. Like, and I, and I think that's super important, like, you know, smashing together those narratives and bringing them, articulating them so that they can become memes or become reality. Just like, you know, stay humble, stack sets. It's no different with a narrative. Like, first you articulate it, then it, it starts to seep into people's minds, and then it actually becomes a real thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, from my from my seat, I'm not a very technical person, you know, either. Like there's there's so many geniuses in Bitcoin. Um, I just try and do my best. And I think that everyone, uh, everyone who wants to contribute has different roles to play. There's so many different things you can do in Bitcoin uh, to help Bitcoiners and help help Bitcoin uh, succeed. Um, and, I, you know, I just like playing around with all it. Like the way I learn best is is I just I have a fun time just playing with all these things, all these little tools and um, new features and like, like like the Lightning Network, for instance, is like a perfect example. Um, as you know, during the bull run in 2017, I was a lightning bear. Like I didn't I didn't think like lightning just I I wouldn't say I like prescribed to the FUD, but I just, you know, it seemed kind of far fetched. Um, and it wasn't until I sat down and ran my own node and got L and D up and, and like made it happen and actually like play around with it and like use it, um, that I started to grasp like the significance of it and understand like how it worked and, and what, you know, what role it will play and how fundamentally groundbreaking it really is. Yeah. I think, um, that sense that you are now in control and that you are responsible and that you you, like being having that feeling of being in control of something as important as your as your money i think makes engaging in all these different tools a lot more interesting than before also you know you have to take responsibility and that can be difficult sometimes and it's a big change but just knowing that like now it's all on you and not none of it is or less much less of it is outsourced to other people i think is a is a powerful motivator to actually like as you said play with this stuff try to figure it out and see to what degree you want to adopt it and incorporate it into your own life yeah i mean we live in a world with like less and less personal responsibility more and more like abstraction and convoluted bullshit like all around us and like bitcoin is this like almost it's super complicated but it's super simple you know it's just yeah clean you know, and it's it's uh, it's not corrupted and it just it just drags you in. Well, that's why I use the term pure a lot, you know, which is for people that don't get it, like it doesn't really help much in understanding it. But like when I think about it, I see it as this like extremely pure, extremely truthful thing. And obviously, you know, there's there's been a lot and there will probably be more kind of like religious undertones to the thing just <laughs> because of that element. But. I can't escape it, you know, it just that's how I see it. I like I like the group of people who who say we should try and uh get it classified as a religion to give it perfect protection in America. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Cuz we have 
just like the Church of Scientology has survived for such a long time. But yeah, I mean, I can people like I get, you know, it's the same idea, right? Just like people gathering around a bigger mission. Um, obviously, it's not it's very different from religion in a lot of ways, but uh, it's pretty crazy to watch unfold. Matt, that's all I got for you, man. I uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's what, it's like 1130 over where you are, 12 o'clock, something like that. So, um, yeah, just really appreciate you coming on. I've uh, been wanting to speak with you for a while. Love the content you put out. Love the, the way in which you're educating the space. Do you want to throw out any destined? I mean, everyone's going to know, or a lot of people will know about the podcast, but just in case they don't, why don't you throw out a few destinations if you like? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, that rapid fire was more intense than I expected. <laughs> uh, I like that. That's a good, that's a good bit. You should keep on doing oh, that. Oh, for sure. Um, uh, yeah. So the, the podcast is called Tales from the Crypt. You can search from that in your favorite podcast app, Tales from the Crypt. Our website's tftc.io, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Matt Underdash Odell. Nice. Well, Matt, thanks again for coming on. If I'm ever uh, passing through New York, we should do another one of these with a little rum in the mix or whiskey in the mix next time and uh, loosen things up a bit. But until that time, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for your contribution to the space. And, uh, yeah, best of luck in, in future endeavors. Yeah, absolutely. Next time you're in New York, we'll have you on. Uh, we'll have you on Tales from the Crypt, and we'll we'll drink some drink some nice scotch. Awesome. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. Take care. Yo, what's up, guys? Thanks for checking out the episode. If you want to hear more from Matt, we did an awesome rapid fire episode. It's only seven minutes long. I asked my typical rapid fire questions and then the word association questions. Matt's answers did not disappoint. So if you want to hear more from Matt, definitely check that out. That's it. Later. <laughs>